Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rokrow. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And welcome back for part two of our Oscar Contender Series acting category discussion. We will be talking about Best Actor and Best Actors today, and we will be playing a fun mini game in between. I can't wait to talk about my favorite category at the Oscars, Best Actress, which has turned into quite the race this year. Same as last time, so we'll be giving you our write-in vote, who we think should win and who we think will win. And for each of our nominees, we'll also be sharing what we think should be their Oscar scene that they'll show during the telecast. So if you haven't listened to our last episode on the supporting actor categories, we gave a caveat at the beginning, and that still stands true for this episode. When we share who we think should win, we're sharing who we think gave the best performance of the year, full stop. It's just our opinion. I know that people are really attached to these acting categories, so if we don't mention your favorite... Don't take it personally. We'll talk about each of these performances in depth. And again, we're not considering any additional factors like performance length or how many Oscars or nominations they might previously have, any of those political or strategic factors that sometimes come into play when actors win these Oscars ultimately. So our nominees for Best Actor are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yoon for Minati. We have three first-time nominees here and two past Academy Award winners. I think with our newcomers, they've been definitely staples in the industry, but haven't yet been recognized by the Academy for their work. So that's Mm -hmm. always exciting, I think, when that finally happens. And for the case of Riz and Steven, actors who are pretty young, and this is a good milestone for them to get early on in their career. So first up is Riz Ahmed, who plays Ruben, who is a drummer and former addict who loses his hearing. Like I said, this is his first Oscar nomination, but he previously won an Emmy for The Night Of, which is an HBO limited series. It's really good. If you haven't seen The Night Of, it's a tough watch, but Riz's performance will stick with you. And I promise this is the only time I will mention this again, but the actors on actors, Riz speaking to Steven about their performances Riz brings this performance up, particularly in The Night Of, and how he's this Muslim man who is portrayed as a villain, and that's kind of the problem that they've dealt with as men of color being typecast in these somewhat darker or villainous roles. So I do highly recommend watching that video. It's fun to see them chatting with each other, and I'll talk about Steven's half of the conversation too once we get to him. Yeah, that's a great video. Definitely watch it. We'll be talking about a lot of videos and interviews on YouTube throughout this recording, so definitely keep a list going. So Riz was previously nominated for the Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA, and the Critics' Choice. So he hit all the precursors and was a shoo-in nominee pretty much for the Oscars. So what did you particularly like about Riz's performance here? Even though... He is basically refusing to be present in most cases. That's something that Joe has to talk to him about, about kind of figuring out how to live in the now. 
Riz himself feels incredibly alive and present in the film. And I think that's a really hard needle to thread. And you feel Mm -hmm. the desperation that this character has. Even with his outbursts of anger and all of his frustration that he has in learning how to cope and how to live as a deaf person, it never feels showy. It never feels like you're watching some play mm-hmm. where someone is like shouting from the rooftops, giving this over-the-top performance. So I think he really, really nails it. What about you? Kind of stemming from that, I like that he really shows his internal struggle and how he has to come to terms with it almost immediately. But like you said, it's not showy, and we can see the gears turning, but it seems from him so effortless. And what I liked learning about his process is that once he accepted it, Darius Martyr said, okay, well, you need to play the drums, and you need to learn American Sign Language. And he's like, I can't do either of those things. And Darius was like, okay, great. How long do you need to learn? So... (laughs) Riz spent seven months learning how to play the drums and then also became conversationally fluent in ASL. And a fun story about this is that he would screw up all the time. So his sign name, which in the movie they talk about how each person gets their own sign name based on, I guess, how they're perceived basically by the group. And his sign name in real life became fuck up because that's what he would sign instead of saying um, because he didn't know how to sign um. (laughs) So I think that's kind of cute and funny. And then also, I mean, through his performance and his character, he finds this catharsis and he goes on such a rough journey in finding himself and finding his place in the world. In real life, he really connected with these deaf actors because he saw how they were able to communicate these raw emotions. He talks in multiple interviews about how deaf people find hearing people emotionally repressed. So he found speaking in ASL very therapeutic, being able to emote without covering any of his internal emotions up. So I really liked hearing about how he connected with this group of people. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I would pick the scene. It comes pretty early on. It's when he's initially diagnosed. So he goes to the doctor. They do all these tests and he comes back and he's talking to Lou in this diner and he's freaking out. He's just saying like, write it down, write it down. I can't hear you. She gets the manager on the phone and it's just such an intense scene. You feel for him, you feel for her and... I think like many of the acting nominees here, you could find multiple scenes. So which scene would you pick? I like how we're going to actually go opposite ends of the spectrum here with Riz's acting. I would pick the scene where he's on the playground and there's a little kid like at the other end of the metal slide. It's just a really subtle, beautiful scene where the title comes into play, right? Sound of Metal as they're tapping on the slide. And you can see his journey kind of begin and his moments of inner Mm -hmm. peace. And I think that these moments that you see throughout the film of Riz is more improvisational acting with these children. I thought they were really, really beautiful scenes. And this was the one out of those that really stood out to me. So our next nominee is Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And in this film, Chadwick plays Levy, a fiery trombone player in Ma Rainey's band. This is Chadwick's first Oscar nomination. This season, he's won tons of awards. So he won the Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, SAG. 
He also won LAFCA, so the LA Film Critics, and he won the New York Film Critics Circle, but for De Five Blood. So he also had a role in that film. And I know we talked about before him potentially getting a double nomination, but I think that this is the film role where Chadwick's power as an actor and as a presence in Hollywood really shines. And I think Mm -hmm. even in addition to this performance, something we've talked about all season is just what Chadwick's legacy is and everything that he put into his career and what he means to people in the industry and to people who are watching his films. So what do you think specifically about his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I think once the news came out that he had passed away and about the struggle that he had been going through, a lot of the actors and even George C. Wolfe spoke about how he would give these emotionally charged scenes and give his acting his all. And then once the scene was over, he would kind of retreat and collapse on himself. And once they realized why, it was because he had to regain his strength again for the next scene. And I think that's really powerful. I don't think that's the entire conversation that we should be having about him because his acting is great on every level and I think what I really like about his performance here is that kind of like Riz you get to see all of his internal struggles coming to life and he vocalizes them so well he talks about living in a racist America and how he sees his parents about religion about fitting in and it's so complex and he stands his own ground among all of these other actors what did you think about Chadwick's performance for me it was the best part of the film I think he gives a performance that, and we've talked about other performances that have had a similar impact this year, but when he's on screen, you cannot look away from him. What he's saying feels urgent. It's kind of frantic at times and thoughtful at other times, and I love watching that from an actor, so much so that when he's not on the screen, I kept thinking, like, where's Chadwick? Like, I want to see more of this performance, and... I think what's tricky is that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a stage adaptation. I think what Chadwick does here, though, is that he brings those stage actor aspects of a theatrical performance into a film, and I think it works seamlessly. Well, I think there are other parts of the film that might feel like it's just stage to screen. Mm-hmm. His performance, to me, would work really well in both spaces. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, while they're confined to this set, I don't think he feels confined to anything in the scene that he's playing in. I was watching this featurette for Ma Rainey, and Denzel described him. I thought this was so perfect as, like, a concentrated thing of juice, and you have to add water to it to make it into something you can really drink. And some people in life are just, like, the concentrated juice without the water, so nothing to water it down, just full punch, full power, full sweetness, and he described Chadwick that way. (laughs) So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I would pick the scene where Levy bursts through the door because I think there you get those emotional tones of his acting, both in more frantic outbursts, but you also Mm -hmm. get the quiet moment and that realization of what his experience means to him and where Mm -hmm. he feels he is. And it also doubles as a metaphor for Chadwick's life, which that moment of acting, I think is just so, so powerful and truly profound when you're thinking about Chadwick and his legacy. What would you pick? Yeah, I think that's also what's so special about his performance is that 
it just seems to parallel what he was going through. So I would pick this scene when he's talking about the trauma of his dad's story and the rest of the band members are kind of making fun of him for how he's sucking up to the white studio manager. And he goes through this whole tirade of telling this really traumatic story. And he goes, leave Levy alone about the white man. And it's very impactful. He has another really emotional scene later on. But I think showing this concentrated intensity is just an easy choice for a scene to showcase. I think so too. So next is Anthony Hopkins. He plays Anthony, an elderly man who has dementia. This season, he's been nominated for the Golden Globe, the SAG, and Critics' Choice, and in an upset, somewhat, he won the BAFTA this past weekend. He previously won an Oscar for The Silence of the Lambs, and then was also nominated for The Remains of the Day, Nixon, Amistad, and The Two Popes. What a career. What a performance. I love Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Yeah, I... I do too. I think it was phenomenal. It's it's easy to get wrapped up in his performance and it truly feels like you're in his head experiencing this confusion and loss of his sense of self and it's devastating. And I think it's one of the best depictions of dementia that we have from a leading actor. Definitely. He goes so smoothly between these overlapping moods that he has to show mm-hmm. where one minute he'll be really angry and another moment he'll be crushed and in tears and he'll be really funny. Like he gets so many different moods and states of mind right. And as an actor, I think that it would be really fun to get to play with all of those things. However, Mm -hmm. this is a case where as an aging actor, I can't imagine how challenging it was to tap into all these things and to be so present and to be so vulnerable in this role. And I think it's also a testament, honestly, to Zeller's direction and also to Olivia Coleman being there, right, as a scene partner, but also Zeller guiding him. And you can, I think, kind of feel sometimes the curveballs that come Anthony's way and how he navigates that. And this was a performance, too, where when I watched The Father honestly, months ago at this point, my sister and I kept saying to each other, like in the middle of monologues or something, we would just stop and be like, he is so good. This performance, like he's so Mm -hmm. amazing. Just throughout, we could not stop raving about Anthony Hopkins, like mid-watch. This is definitely one that has stuck with me the entire season. And I know will stick with me for a really long time. I guess what kind of surprised me a little bit was that You go into this movie knowing it's about this man with dementia, but he shows so much range in this performance, and that's what I really loved. He speaks in interviews about how this role was really easy for him to play because he's an old man, and you know, having a really amazing cast to perform alongside with makes things easier as well. But I don't think it's as simple as that. You know, it's not easy doing this, and no. <laughs> he does a great job. So I think he's kind of selling himself short there, because I, I do agree. I really, really love this performance. Other fun facts. So with his BAFTA win this past weekend, which was his fifth BAFTA win, including his fellowship win a few years ago, he is the oldest actor to win the BAFTA. And then with his Oscar nomination, he became the oldest actor nominee hitting some milestones, which is really cool. And the fact that he hasn't shown up to any of the award shows. 
Oh my god. Icon. (laughs) (laughs) I think too, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, this is an actor who was discovered by Laurence Olivier. Like, that's so cool, right? He's this classically trained Mm -hmm. actor who's done everything from Shakespeare to playing one of the greatest villains of all time to now playing a character like Anthony, someone who you and I can't relate to, but who can, through Mm -hmm. his performance, feel completely in his point of view. And that's something that like only a, a master actor can really do. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I would pick actually the scene that I chose for Olivia. So the scene when Laura, the caretaker, arrives. And in that moment, I think you get a wide range of Anthony's abilities as an actor, but also a really clear and heartbreaking view into this character. You see traces of this hilarious and charming man that he very much still is, but also definitely used to be. You see the pain that he still has you also see the anger that he has and the confusion that he has. And I like how this film and how this performance, they pack so much into such a short period of time for you to really experience everything. What would you pick? So there's a scene when he's speaking to the husband and his big moment is in saying, I am not leaving my flat. So I think that's a big moment for him. And I think it leaves the audience in this really confused state of mind and we don't know what to believe but we're believing what he's feeling and I think that's really powerful in his acting. I think this probably will be the scene that they end up going with. I can totally see this because it is such a punch when he says that. Our next nominee is Gary Oldman for Mank. He plays Herman J. Mankiewicz, or Mank, the screenwriter and Oscar winner for Best Original Screenplay for Citizen Kane. I'd be remiss if I didn't say he shared this award with Orson Welles. So Gary won an Oscar in 2018 for his performance as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. I think this is one of our most talked about Best Actor wins that maybe shouldn't have happened, but alas. (laughs) He's also been nominated before for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. This season, he was nominated for a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Award, and SAG Award. So, pretty good haul. Just missed the juried BAFTA. What do you think of Gary's performance in Mank? I think he does a good job in trying to emulate who this character was. I think out of the five, it's the weakest nomination. But I think he sums up pretty well in the struggle that Herman J. Mankiewicz was going through at the time, being an alcoholic and being a man who uses his words to weasel his way into or out of things. (laughs) Sorry, the way that you described him there, like, I don't know why, but I the whole time was thinking of Ben Affleck in The Way Back, (laughs) (laughs) which is not the same character, but... (laughs) Anyway, I will defer to you to continue the discussion of Mank. (laughs) I know that people aren't really fond of this performance, but I will say that Gary Oldman in Mank actually helped me with my previous perception of Gary Oldman. I think that coming off of the 2018-2017 Oscar season when he won, it really left a bad taste in my mouth because he beat so many of our favorites. So that was hard, but I think what he does here that's different from The Darkest Hour is that I think this performance does have a lot of emotional range. I would say 
The negative part of performance for me is that you can't really understand what he's saying half the time. I think that what's fun about this performance is that he seems to be having fun through this witty, quippy dialogue where he's poking fun at Louis B. Mayer and William Randolph Hearst, and he's kind of this narrator type of figure taking us through this world as he's writing the Citizen Kane screenplay. And like you said, with his alcoholism and what he's dealing with, what we can experience through his struggle of writing this script alone, basically, in Victorville, and he has a broken leg, and he's just kind of like down and out. And we see this person who has just this completely crushed spirit, despite the sense of humor that he has. And we see him be very vulnerable. And then we get that ending, which I've described before as just really lonely and pretty hopeless and sad. I think that he brings emotional depth and layers to all of that. So those are my nice things to say about Gary Oldman for any other mank people out there. But any doubters, it's okay. He's not going to win so we won't have to talk about this performance anymore (laughs) so what would you pick for gary oldman's oscar scene so i would pick the scene later in the film when they're at the dinner party in san simeon and he comes in he's drunk marion is ashamed to even really look at him based on his demeanor and what i think is great here which i think he does throughout the film he doesn't have these like big scenes or really grand moments he can deliver these dialogue concentrated lines really well and with so much wit which scene would you pick i would pick the same scene actually i think that this is where the thesis of mank really comes out and you can really see the type of person that mank is and what he's been struggling with but also i think gary brings a lot of flair and storytelling humor and secondhand embarrassment to the scene that makes it exciting to watch and also horrible to watch at the same time Mm -hmm. again if there are a few fans out there you're not alone (laughs) i talk about it on the episode and then our fifth nominee is steven yoon who plays jacob the patriarch of the yi family who has just moved to Arkansas for a new life and new farming opportunities. This is his first Oscar nomination, and he was also nominated for SAG and Critics' Choice. I'm so glad Steven got nominated. This was one, again, at the beginning of the season, much like Yoo Jung Yoon, that I did not think was going to happen. I was being very cynical and pessimistic, but Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that he was recognized. I think that What's so beautiful about his performance as Jacob is that you can see him making bad decisions, but you believe in every choice that Steven makes, even if you might worry about the choices that Jacob is making in the film. And I think that's really challenging as an actor and seeing Jacob just risk everything for his family, but also to be so stubborn. Mm-hmm. And then be faced with failure. It's hard to watch in the film. And I think that Steven bringing so much humanity to the role. It made it one of my favorite performances of the year. And part of why Minari works so well is because everyone is really on their A game. And he's no exception to that. Yeah, as the father, he's trying to keep everything together. And to keep the family moving in this forward direction. But they struggle so much. 
in this new location and in fitting in with the community. In the video with Riz, he talks about how he really wants to share his Korean heritage, but in a way that's speaking to this American dream and the narrative in general and not just focusing on the Korean aspect. It's something a lot of families, no matter where you are, deal with and are confronted with. And I think being juxtaposed by Yeri Han as his wife, I think they do an amazing job playing off of each other and in showing the different ways they approach life and working on this chicken farm and wanting to achieve their own dreams. I think it's wonderful acting. And we mentioned that we think Steven should have been nominated before and I'm very happy he finally has been, and he's going to have so many more opportunities, and I can't wait to see what he does next. So what would you pick for Steven's Oscar scene? So I would choose the scene somewhat early on when they're on this new piece of land, and they're trying to find water that they will eventually use to help the garden that they'll grow. And he's with David, his son, played by Alan Kim, and They finally dig deep, and it's just this really cute moment where he screams and he has his son scream, and, you know, it's like you think everything is going to go in their favor, and right now it is, but you know they're going to struggle later on, and it's an uplifting moment and heartwarming, too. What scene would you pick? I would pick the same scene. This is my favorite scene with Jacob in it because you can see his joy in finding something that will make their lives better, but also sharing that moment with his son. I think that that is such an important part of the story is what you share generationally. So the scenes, we have similar scenes between Sunja, the grandmother, and Monica, her daughter. And I thought that the scene was a really nice way to show that between Jacob and David. So who would your write-in vote be? I would pick the unfortunately snubbed Delroy Lindo as one of the first Oscar-predicted movies of 2020. I think this came out in May. When I saw it, I was like, Delroy Lindo for the Oscar, hands down, conversation over. And it still sticks with me. I think he did, like many of the nominees here, an incredibly impactful, emotional heart-wrenching performance and I think it's intensified by the character that he's playing who would your write and vote be my write and vote would also be for Delroy Lindo I think that we've talked about him so much on this podcast and it's been a delight to talk about him he like you said was like my favorite performance early on when this film came out it was like all I could think about and mm-hmm. I think what he does that is so brave and Something that I think definitely he benefited from having Spike there with him, one of his longtime collaborators, Mm -hmm. to get this performance out of him. But he shows what can happen when you bury your trauma deep down in the most effective way that we see in any movie this year. And what happens with PTSD and then what happens when you tap into it, what happens when you reach that trauma and you let it out. And that is just... Again, another like Anthony Hopkins masterclass acting moment, I think. I also just really wish he was here, and it really doesn't make sense to me why he's not. Who do you think should win? So I think Anthony Hopkins should win the Oscar. Like I mentioned when I was talking about The Father, this performance to me will stand the test of time. It will go down in the Hall of Fame of great performances by leading actors and 
I'm so glad that we got to experience it this year and celebrate a performance this heartbreaking and rich and textured. Who would you pick? I would also pick Anthony. I think it's the greatest performance that when I finished watching a movie, I was just totally blown away and immersed in what I had just watched. And I think kind of like you've said, when I think back to the biggest, most effortless acting performances, especially from this year, I'm going to think about Anthony and the father. And who do you think will win? I think and I hope Chadwick Boseman will win. I think... You know, things are a little confused after the BAFTA, but I don't think it's going to influence it enough that Anthony would win. And I mean, Chadwick isn't far behind from, I think, who should win. I think it's really close. And I think Chadwick winning here would be very deserving. And I think a really special ode to him as an actor and the potential for what was lost, really. Who do you think will win? I completely agree. I think that Chadwick will win. I think that while, you know, moments like this sometimes happen where another actor will win somewhere else, I think that this run has been so strong and this award not only is about celebrating his legacy, but is about celebrating Mm -hmm. a truly wonderful performance. I think that this acting category is really good. We've had weak ones in the past, but these performances to me are really strong and Chadwick's is among those. And I think that the Academy here has an opportunity to celebrate his life. And I think that they will do that despite maybe him missing BAFTA. So before we get to best actress, we're going to play a little mini game that we played on one of our previous episodes with the best actor category. What we'll do is we're going to go through each year of the Best Actress category from the 2010s, and we will share who won, share the nominees, and then we will count down from three, and each of us will say who we think should have won that year. If we agree, that person becomes the new winner, or in some cases, the existing winner. If we disagree the winner stands. So this is our opportunity to potentially correct the Oscars. I wonder if we'll have as many upsets as we did when we did Best Actor. I'm so curious too. So let's get started with 2010. So Natalie Portman won for Black Swan. Our other nominees were Annette Bening for The Kids Are All Right, Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole, Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone, and Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. Three, two, one, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Portman. All right. Our winner still stands. For 2011, Meryl Streep won for The Iron Lady. The other nominees were Glenn Close for Albert Knobs, Viola Davis for The Help, Rooney Mara for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Michelle Williams for My Week with Marilyn. Three, Three two, two, one, Rooney Meryl Mara. Street. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Meryl Streep still stands as our winner. Okay, 2012, Jennifer Lawrence won for Silver Linings Playbook. Our other nominees were Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty, Emmanuel Riva for Amour, Kevin Zane Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Naomi Watts for The Impossible. Three, Three two, two, one, one Jennifer Emmanuel Lawrence. 
This was... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh. Okay, Jennifer Lawrence it is. <laughs> for 2013, Kate Blanchett won for Blue Jasmine. The other nominees were Amy Adams for American Hustle, Sandra Bullock for Gravity, Judy Dench for Philomena, and Meryl Streep for August Osage County. Three, Three two, two, one. one. Kate, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. Amazing. We agree. She stays. All right. In 2014, Julianne Moore won for Still Alice. Other nominees were Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night, Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Three, two, two, one. Rosamund Pike. Pike. Yay. (laughs) My girl, who I will bring up later, has her Oscar. <laughs> in 2015, Brie Larson won for Room. Also nominated Kate Blanchett for Carol, Jennifer Lawrence for Joy, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, and Sorsha Ronan for Brooklyn. Are you okay. ready? I know we're going to split here. So three. We probably are. <laughs> two. One. one Sorsha Ronan. Yeah. <laughs> Knew it. I just realized I would give two Oscars to Kate in the 2010s. That's kind of crazy. So Brie Larson stays. All right. In 2016, Emma Stone won for La La Land. Our other nominees were Isabelle Huppert for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. (laughs) Okay, ready? Yeah. Three, Three, two, two, one. one. Isabelle Huppert. Yay! Cool. On my YouTube, the Hollywood Reporter like roundtable came up, and she was on it, and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. She should have won. But I also love Natalie. I was going to say, I thought you would have gone for Natalie. Okay, in 2017, we had Frances McDormand, who won for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. The other nominees included Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep for The Post. I think we might split here, too. Three, two, two one. one. Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Ronan. Oh! Yay! Yay! Okay, great. <laughs> I would say my second choice in this category would actually be Meryl in The Post. We'll talk about Fran later. In 2018, Olivia Coleman won for The Favorite. Our other nominees were Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Three, Three two, one. one. Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Coleman. Easy. All right, she stays. <laughs> Favorite win of the decade, for sure. It's so good. I watched the speech again the other day and cried. <laughs> and our final year in 2019, we had Renee Zellweger, who won for Judy, and then Cynthia Revo was nominated for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Sorsha Ronan for Little Women and Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Three, Three two, two, one. one. Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Another one. We matched a lot on this one we compared did. to the actors, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so our new winners for the decade, Natalie Portman for Black Swan. She stayed the same. In 2011, Meryl Streep for The Iron Lady. 2012, Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. 2013, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. 2014, we have a new winner, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl. Very excited about that. 2015, Brie Larson for Room. 
2016, Isabelle Huppert for L, new winner there. 2017, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. 2018, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. And 2019, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. It's a good list. I like that. I like that list. Saoirse will get her Oscar someday. <laughs> so next, we'll be moving on to Best Actress. I think I love this category so much because it really was my gateway into the Oscars, especially through classic film, like always having TCM on growing up. It was just my way to experience that world. And there are so many incredible winners in this category throughout history. So we're going to add a new one to that list because these nominees are all amazing. I'm not sure we know who that is yet, but I think it'll be fun to talk through the nominees and see if we do have any headway into predicting this category. So our nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carey Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Like you said, no idea who's going to win, so let's get right into it and try to make sense of it and figure it out. Our first nominee is Viola Davis. She plays Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A little bit about Viola. So she won for Fences in 2017 for Best Supporting Actress. She's also been nominated for Doubt, one of my favorite performances of hers, Mm -hmm. and The Help. This season, she's been nominated for a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Award, and she won SAG. If you haven't yet watched the reaction video of her winning... (laughs) Sag, it is so great. Falling off the couch. That's so cute. And if she won this year, she would be the second black actress in history after Halle Berry to win Best Actress. What did you think of Viola's performance in Ma Rainey? I think she's captivating. I didn't know Ma Rainey before this movie, but I feel like in hearing her process and other actors and crew members speak about Ma Rainey as a person, I think she embodies the character really well. And her name is Ma Rainey, but she's also being this motherly figure to her nephew. And her acting is always very powerful. But I think here she plays a really strong character and is able to embody that so well. So if she won here, she would be the first Black actress to win two Oscars. Lots of history on the line in every way, really. Yeah, in lots of ways. We'll get to more. (laughs) How did you feel about Viola Davis playing Ma Rainey? I think you're right. Like Viola always gives excellent performances, but here she does really shine. I think because when I think of Viola Davis, I think of a really confident woman who just knows who she is. And I think, you know, this past summer we had, she had this interview that was all about pay equity and about how women of color are paid less. But I think that in learning about her inspirations here, I watched, again, that Netflix featurette that I was talking about. She talks about how growing up, she always really loved Shakespeare. She loved Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, Edward Albee, all of these playwrights, but she never saw herself in any of the characters. And it was really hard for her to imagine herself in these parts. But this was so much easier. Being in an August Wilson play, she was able to channel the black women in her life 
Like she mentions her grandmother and her mom and her, she had this aunt Joyce in particular who she mentions that I thought it was a really great story. So definitely check that out. I won't spoil it, but she talked about how easy it was for her to channel those women and to channel their confidence and what they went through and to bring that to Ma Rainey. And I think you can see through this performance, all of the inspiration that she's bringing from her own life and from her own background Mm -hmm. into the role. And also how she's just such, I think a presence to other actors that I think she just makes it really easy for other actors to be around her and to be her scene partner. So what would you pick for Viola's Oscar scene? I think the strongest scene of what I'm trying to convey that Viola Davis gives in this performance comes when she's speaking to the manager about the set list for what they're going to record. And he really wants to do Levy's version of the song. And Ma is like, no, I'm doing my arrangement for the song. And it's her being steadfast and putting her foot down that I think is really powerful and shows how much of a trailblazer Ma Rainey really was. And I think once you get to the end of the movie, it really hits you that she really had to fight for everything to go her way. And she was the record company's leading artist. And I think this is a big reason why. What scene would you pick? I would pick the same scene, actually. I think this is the scene where we see all of Viola's talents and everything that she is trying to convey to the audience about who Ma Rainey was. So next up is Andrew Day, who plays the incomparable Billie Holiday in the United States versus Billie Holiday. This is her first nomination, and she won the Golden Globe. Like Viola, if Andrew won here, she would be the second Black actress to win Best Actress. Tell me about how you feel about Andra and this performance. I think we've said before that this is a great performance in a bad movie. And what she does here is she, I think, elevates this film to the best of her ability. Because I think when we talk about people in biopics, which is often in the acting categories, we talk a lot about transformation and how well you can like mimic legends in a lot of cases. And... I think she really brought the performance to life in a way that wasn't just mimicking Billie Holiday. I learned that she initially turned the role down. She found it pretty daunting, but I think that being a fan of Billie Holiday, what she wanted to do was help educate people about who Billie Holiday was as a civil rights leader, not just as an iconic musician. And I think despite maybe the shortcomings of the film, I think she was really successful in bringing that character to life. How did you feel? Yeah, that was the main takeaway from a lot of the reviews is that she delivered while the movie didn't. And I think for me, and just not having seen her perform before, you know, she delivers this really transformative role. And I think she did what she set out to do in uplifting Billy's memory. Andra, in preparing for the role, she basically lived as Billy for three years. She became a smoker, started drinking. She lost almost 40 pounds. And similar to Lakeith, like I mentioned on the last pod, it was kind of hard for her to let go of this role and of who she became as Billy. So I think that speaks to what she gave, and you really see this in the movie. I was impressed, but also just very moved by what she did. So what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I would choose 
the scene at the end when she's on her deathbed in the hospital. It's a really dark moment for her, and she knows it's the end, but she doesn't relent. And I think Andra being able to capture this is a great way to end the film for her. I would choose the Strange Fruit performance. Andrew Day is a musician in real life. She's a singer. And you really see, I think, in a similar way to when Lady Gaga performed as Allie in Star is Born. Like here, I just loved any time she was singing. And Mm -hmm. that was when I could also see she wasn't just singing as Andrew Day. She was singing as Billie Holiday. So next we have Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. She plays Martha, a woman who's grieving after the loss of her newborn. This is Vanessa Kirby's first Oscar nomination. This season, she's been nominated for the Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Awards, SAG, BAFTA. So she's hit all of the precursors. She also won the Volpe Cup at the Venice Film Festival, which is a big deal. It's like their best actress. So I wanted to mention that too. What did you think of Vanessa Kirby's performance? I liked Vanessa here. I think it's incredibly difficult performance to watch. But it's also because she delivers in every moment. That first scene with the 30-minute live birth is just incredible. But there's so much more film and performance from her until the very end when she gives this rousing monologue in the courthouse. So I wish she would have won somewhere along the line. I guess At Venice was really one of the first of the season for her to do so. But I'm definitely happy that she was nominated for this role. What did you think about Kirby here? So if I had to rank these Best Actress performances, I think she'd be my second. Like, I really like this performance a lot. I think she here is telling a story that is rarely told on screen, right? Mm -hmm. About a woman grieving and... What she does really well is she gives us this almost Jenna Rollins type of performance, like from a Cassavetes movie, where she's really authentic. She can be really restrained at times and almost unhinged at others. And I love when women are able to be like that on screen. A big thing, too. So when I was watching interviews and reading about her, I was really struck by the fact that she has no children. So to be able to do that birth scene, to have never been through that experience before. So I watched this interview where when I saw that this was a thing, I like kind of screamed because Rosamund Pike interviews her. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, my British ladies talking is so great. But they have this really in-depth conversation about like the expectations of how you're supposed to feel after a trauma or after a huge life event and how a lot of times like women in these experiences they both explained and Vanessa explained really well that you just feel like you're measuring yourself up against everyone else and that everyone else is just carrying on with their lives and you're almost she described it as feeling like you're underwater and everyone else is just in the real world at all times and you just don't really understand that and Mm -hmm. what Rosamond talked about was that what stood out to her about Vanessa's performance was that she made ordinary things just seem wrong or seem odd so like the other people shopping at the market and how Vanessa looks at them she really gets us um, inside her point of view I think in a similar way to Anthony Hopkins and the father and I feel like I learned a lot from her so what would you pick for her Oscar scene so I think I would pick the moment when she's having an argument with her mom, played by Ellen Burstyn, you can just see that she's experiencing all this pain and no one around her understands. And 
that people are trying to make her feel a certain way. And for those listening, if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, because I'm being very vague, it's the scene where she like yells at her, like, I am facing this. It's that scene that I'm thinking of, because I think you do see, again, how she's responding to grief and processing and learning to live with what's happened to her. What would you pick? So I think there's a good chance that it will be the scene from the end in the courthouse, but I think you really see her going through it when she's in labor. I guess my only other thought about this is that they won't want to show Shia LaBeouf on screen, so I don't know if there are any takes of her solely, but it's amazing watching her like burping and Mm -hmm. going through all this pain. You can feel as a viewer like how she feels, and she talks about in interviews about how they practice going through the scene which is one really long take that she actually liked doing it like that because she didn't have to take lunch breaks and then come back to portraying this really dark emotionally tense moment for her and for the couple yeah it's a real that's a really really intense scene and the movie starts with that you're just like whoa Mm -hmm. okay heavy yes next up we have Frances mcdormand who plays Fern, a van-dwelling nomad in Nomadland. She has two Best Actress wins for Fargo and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. She was also nominated for Mississippi Burning, Almost Famous, and North Country. I think we mentioned this on our Nomadland episode, but if Fran wins here, this will be her third Best Actress win, and then she would only be behind Katherine Hepburn, who has four lead actress oscars and she would be a part of a club of only six total actors who would have at least three oscars so that goes for daniel day lewis meryl streep jack nicholson ingrid bergman and then katherine hepburn that's crazy and francis despite hating publicity and awards campaigning only needs a Grammy to EGOT. So she's quite the awards magnet. And this season two, she's the first woman to be nominated for Best Picture for producing and for Best Actress for the same film. This season, she's also hit all the precursors. She was nominated for a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, SAG Award, and recently won the BAFTA. So back when Frances won in 2018 for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, she gave... One of my favorite Oscar speeches, and we can play a clip from it, actually. If I may be so honored to have all the female nominees in every category stand with me in this room tonight, the actors, Meryl, if you do it, everybody else will, come on, the filmmakers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the cinematographer, the, the composers, the songwriters, the, 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 the designers, Come on! <laughs> <Ms. Boyne. laughs> okay, look around, everybody. Look around, ladies and gentlemen, because we all have stories to tell and projects we need finance. Don't talk to us about it at the parties tonight. Call, invite us into your office in a couple days, or you can come to ours, whichever suits you best, and we'll tell you all about them. I have two words to leave with you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, inclusion rider. Through that speech, what 
is so powerful to think back about now is how many people in the industry look up to Frances and see her as a hero and see her as a trailblazer for women in the industry. And three years ago now, she made this call. And here we are, three years later, we have two women nominated for Best Director. There's a good chance that two women could win screenplay. We'll talk about that next week. You know, a woman of color is about to win Best Director. And you can't help but think, like, each little bit helps. And with Frances making a statement like that in a room like that that matters... That had to make some of the difference. So I just wanted to bring that up too, thinking about just her place in the industry and her role. And I don't necessarily think she's going to win, but it could help. We'll see. (laughs) She always speaks her mind and says what needs to be said. And I think that's why I've come to really love her too, because you can see all of that in every performance she gives as well. What did you think of Frances's performance in Nomadland? I could really feel how the character feels because of the actor's abilities and what Frances can portray with just one small look or the way she inflects a line of dialogue. And I think apart from Chloe's vision and the shape of the film as a whole, I think Fran adds such an endearing quality to the character that I really love to see how she interacts with the non-actors on set. And it's really hard to take your eye off of her because I think throughout you don't know what's going to happen next. And she's also really good at that in being in the moment, but also keeping us on edge as a viewer. I know you love Francis, so tell me more about what you liked about Nomadland. I love Frances McDormand's performance here. I actually think it's her best performance ever, which is really hard for an actor like Frances. She's so good in those communal scenes with the other non-professional actors. So when she's talking to Swanky or Bob Wells or Linda May, she's mm-hmm. amazing in those scenes. But I think where her best acting actually comes is in her scenes where she's in like complete solitude. Like when she's walking back through her old house or just shivering in her van. It's that type of acting where she's completely silent or where she's working these shifts, where she's exploring nature, where she gets the freedom, where you feel that this character in nature has no bounds. But also the heartbreaking part of not having roots and of being completely screwed over by this capitalistic society that she's living in. And she perfectly balances the freedom and the childlike quality that this Fern character has with sadness and heartbreak just by looking at these other characters and just the close-ups on her face. Mm -hmm. And I think she and Chloe are the perfect match if you're thinking of an actor-director pair. So... I love this performance a lot. What would you pick for her Oscar scene? I would pick the scene where she recites Sonnet 18 by Shakespeare on her Nomadland episode. I talked about the importance of the scene to me. But in the conversation that she's having with this young man beforehand about this lighter and about, you know, his parents. And you just see the empathy in her voice and in her eyes. And when I think of Frances McDormand and mm-hmm. when I think of Fern, that's the scene that I remember, it's it's full of that Francis charm, but also it's just beautiful and empathetic and sad. And that's what I think of when I think of this performance. What would you pick? Mine would be the scene when she's talking to Bob Wells at the end and 
he's speaking about his son. And it's also the scene where they say, we'll see you down the road. But she says, what's remembered lives. And it's just the most fitting way, I think, to end this movie in that it summarizes her experience of what we've seen, but also leaves it really open-ended and kind of tells you about how they feel about life and how they and we move through it. It's very powerful. So our last nominee is Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. This is her second Oscar nomination. She was first nominated in 2008 for An Education. She's been nominated for a Golden Globe and the SAG Award, and she won Critics' Choice and also LA Film Critics Circle. I would say not a perfect season by any means, not the season we were expecting, I think, maybe at the mm-hmm. beginning, thinking maybe she could win more. Critics' Choice, mm-hmm. I think, is a good good prize to get, but definitely not the precursors we were thinking. That being said, this is a great performance that mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about because I think there's a lot to talk about in it that's really interesting work, especially coming from Carrie Mulligan. What did you think of this performance? I love the performance. I love the movie. Go back and listen to our episode on Promising Young Woman. We do another in-depth analysis on the movie. And I think what's so special here in this performance, it's not only a testament to Carrie's acting, but also to what Emerald Fennell puts into this role and what they're trying to accomplish here. We normally see Carrie in these period pieces, and this is a modern and grueling performance in a way that is still really subtle in the most Carrie Mulligan way. What did you think about this performance? I think this is a great performance. I think that it's fun to see Carrie in a contemporary role and really playing against type. I think that I always think of her as, like, when you hear the phrase, like, serious actress. So it's really interesting here seeing her still tap into that when she needs to. I think that the film actually works best when, and we'll talk more about this with screenplay next week, but I think that Carrie is really strong in the scenes that explore grief. So if you view this as kind of a fairy tale that goes into trauma and grief, her performance, what's really strong and what really works is how she taps into the like nuances of women grieving and how you can express that grief in different ways and how you can cope or not cope and what that looks like. And I think that Carrie does a really good job with that. And she also was very committed. So we'll put a spoiler warning, but I do want to share this fact because it's crazy. She initially wanted to be Cassie dying, but she had this whole issue where she had to turn her head at a specific moment when it was under the pillow so she could breathe, but she like missed her cue. And they had this whole thing. They were like, no, no, like this is a stunt type of scene, but she really wanted to do it. But she actually does play her corpse. So (laughs) very committed to the character throughout the whole journey. The female Tom Cruise, who knew? (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Next time any like straight man tries to tell me about a man who did all their own stunts, I'm going to be like, well, Carrie Mulligan, actually. (laughs) So what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I would pick the scene where she meets Dean Walker, who's played by Connie Britton. This scene, I just got chills thinking about it because I think that this is where Carrie's performances in drama really come through. She has these really interesting line reads. I really love, this is so specific, but I really love the one where Dean Walker asks her 
like was he a friend of yours about Al Monroe? And she's just like she gives this very clipped no and shakes her head in this very direct way where when I was first watching it I expected her to kind of play along with it or to see like what she could get out of it if she said that she was his friend, but just that line delivery and her, I think, being pretty ruthless with Dean Walker, who I think is a type of woman and a character that we kind of know, unfortunately, in real life. But I think the way that she expresses her anger and her ruthlessness in that scene is top tier Carrie Mulligan acting. Mm -hmm. What would you pick? I would probably pick the scene with Christopher Mintz Plus because it's one of the more punchier scenes. I know it's in the trailer and it's when he realizes that she was playing him the whole time, basically. And she goes, what do I do? How old am I? What's my name? I think that would be a good scene to show, which in like a dark way has some levity to it too. I think another one obviously dark is when she's watching the video and you just see her face go through all of the emotions so what would your write-in vote be my write-in vote would be my ohio girl carrie coon for the nest she's so good in this film i know a lot of people haven't seen it but she's this character who i think what's so unique about her is that she seems so familiar on the surface but if you've seen her in other things, you know that that familiarity is often what draws you in, and then there's something darker and deeper under that. And I think that's what happens in The Nest. She plays this woman who is this wife and this mom, but she definitely has an edge to her. So you can see through like little gestures that she does, or the way that she speaks to Jude Law or to her kids, the ways that this edge comes through and that's perfect for this film and for the tone because what this essentially is is it's this like dark kind of ghost story haunted house metaphor Mm -hmm. and Sean Durkin the director in the second half of the movie I think lets Carrie fully unleash and she's just so glamorous and dark and I love that so much this feels like a peak Carrie Coon performance and role and I think she should be cast in more leading roles in perpetuity totally agree my pick would be for Yeti Han so I think Yeti gives an even stronger performance than Steven it's really refreshing to see how she stands up to Jacob and I think the depth of her character and her performance could easily have been nominated among this crowd it's just it's a tight group yeah, she actually gives my favorite performance in Minari. I mean, I think that ensemble cast is just incredible. And for her, right, she doesn't have the funniest lines like mm-hmm. Yoo Jung Yoon or these big emotional moments like Steven Yun. But what she does do is she's really vulnerable. And to me, she's the most human character in the film because... She, I think, is who you experience the film through in a lot of ways, even though I think a lot of the story feels like it's about David and sometimes it feels like it's about Jacob. She really is kind of the conduit for the audience to experience what it might feel like to be a part of this family and to move to Arkansas and all the things that they go through. And she holds it together. And without her, where is this family? Mm-hmm. So I loved her performance so much. So I totally agree. I would have loved to have seen her get into this group. I think it grows on me too every time I watch this movie. Okay. So who do you think should win? I think 
Carrie should win. I'd been rooting for her this whole season. I think she is deserving of finally getting an Oscar. And I think in a weird way, this would be a good role for her to get it for. Just because she shows range, it's not something she normally does. But I really appreciated her take and her strength in portraying the grief, the trauma, the weight of the character of Cassie. Who do you think should win? So I think Frances should win her third, which is crazy to think about. Like someone having three, it really Mm -hmm. doesn't happen very often, like we mentioned before. But to me, what's so cool about Frances McDormand playing Fern is that she's such an unpretentious person. Like if you watch the few interviews that she's done, I mean, they're only a small handful for this film because she's just not not really interested in the pomp and circumstance of awards. But she's a case, I think, where you win them for the work. And that doesn't happen all the time. Like you do usually have to play the game. And what works for Frances is that I think if another actress played Fern, we would be talking about this role very differently. We would be talking about like, oh my God, can you believe that Annette Benning let us watch her like have diarrhea in a bucket in a van? It would be this huge, transformative, wild conversation. Yeah. But because it's Frances and she literally does not care, here we are. <laughs> and I think that with Chloe working with this cast of non-professional actors and Frances just lets everyone else shine in the movie while also fully being present. It's, I think, a transcendent performance. It's beautiful and she's letting them shine while also radiating this character in such a perfect way. It's it's crazy to think about to me. I think we can now go into who we think will win, even though we probably don't know because it's kind of anyone's game, but maybe we can talk about some theories that we have and then we'll have to lock it down for our final predictions. <laughs> So who, if I asked you today, who do you think is winning Best Actress? And you can only say one person. Who is it? (laughs) I think I'm still going with Andra Day, which is kind of wild just because we've talked about this before a little bit in that a lot of the past winners go to musical performances. We had Remy, we had Renee. But I think the difference with Renee is that she's this very established actor and she's an Oscar winner and this is Andrew's first appearance at the Oscars and I think that's different but I still think she has a good chance here I can give an alt but I'll let you say who you think will win or if you had to pick one person okay I'm really scared because I think that we've been in each other's heads for too long and now we have the same one and two because I also have Andrew Day and There's something just about this performance and the Golden Globe win that I can't ignore totally. Mm -hmm. I think playing a legend, the Academy loves that. I think that while being the only nominee for your film can hurt you, in the case of Andra, I'm wondering if it can actually help her because she is the shining star. Every other film that we have that's nominated here, besides I would say Pieces of a Woman, you can look to another element and say, like, that was my favorite part of that film. Mm-hmm. But with Andrew Day in The United States versus Billie Holiday, if you watch that film, you walk away thinking, like, Andrew Day was amazing. And that, I think, can help. 
I'm also wondering, will the Academy turn down the opportunity to potentially award for actors of color? They Mm -hmm. do love patting themselves on the back, and this would be a huge moment. I mean, it would would be historic. I think it would too, and in kind of a twisted way, I definitely think that's going into their voting mindset. Even though Viola won SAG, I don't know if I see her winning here anymore because I just, I wonder if she and Chadwick can both win. I don't know if I want to go with the SAG four, and I feel pretty confident about the supporting categories. The other thing that I think is working against Viola, her runtime in the movie, she was only in 28% of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and all of the other nominees had at least 61%. I don't know if that's going to play into it, but that's a huge difference. I think that she's so celebrated in the industry, so she's a really easy person to vote for. But Mm -hmm. I do wonder, if you leave that film, how many people are thinking about Viola? How many people are thinking about Viola and Chadwick? And how many people are just thinking about Chadwick and it being like Mm -hmm. his final film? But my alt would be Viola Davis, I think, over Carrie. My alt is Carrie. So I know she only won Critics' Choice. But she's never won before. She's really well-liked. She's doing the press. She was on SNL, like, right before voting opened. And I think with Carrie, too, it's like she's playing against type. It's not a period film. So she gets points for that. I think it's just going to be a really, really close race. I will be super shocked if Carrie wins. But also, I want her to win, too. So it could come down to, like, tenths of a percent. Even with voting. I think it's just going to be a name and... We're going to scream no matter who it is. (laughs) (laughs) This is the category this year that is the most unpredictable. Yeah. Francis, you know, winning the BAFTA. That's the precursor that's closest to Oscar voting. I think her biggest hurdle is that she's already won two. And winning a third, I think people will maybe think like, oh, I'm not going to vote for her to win a third like I'm going to give it to someone new Mm -hmm. that's definitely a barrier but she's so well loved in the industry and she's the star of the best picture front runner so I'm not totally ruling it out I don't think I'm predicting her but also still possible the only one I think that's just not is Vanessa Kirby sadly um yeah I think she's in fifth I think it's hard if you're a lone actress nominee and you're not a big name. I think it is a little bit harder and not playing a real person. So she has a lot working against her, but she got in based on the power of her performance, which is great. I have a real doomsday scenario type of question for you. Okay. What if there's a tie? I would love a tie. My God, that would make things so much nicer. (laughs) (laughs) But who's the tie? For me, it's between Andrew Viola Carey. It would be so hard to pick two. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Here's an option. So in 1969, we had a Best Actress tie, and it was Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, if we really want to go full parallel there, that's Andrew Day and Frances McDormand, if we go the singer and the legend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not a duo I would ever expect. No, and I'm not predicting that ever (laughs) to happen, and God help us all if there's a tie, but I think (laughs) this is the first year in a long, long time where a tie, I think, has seemed like a possibility. To have a tie, you have to have the exact number of votes, which makes it very unlikely, Mm -hmm. but I would scream if that happened. (laughs) 
I think it's a lot harder to now because the Academy is so much larger. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I guess technically we could have a five-way tie if we wanted to or a three or a four-way if everybody had the same number. How crazy would that be? Like a multi-win? <laughs> to be completely honest, until you said that, I only entertained the possibility of a tie between two. Whoa. <laughs> what if it was like a four-way tie in no Vanessa? <laughs> like what a year to have all of this predicting and then everybody wins. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today to our latest installment in the Oscar Contender series. Next time, we will be sharing our last episode of the series, talking about our remaining categories. These are some big ones. Original screenplay, adapted screenplay, best director, and of course, best picture. Thank you all for listening and making it through our acting series. (laughs) We only have about a week left, and I'm excited to do these final few categories. We'll see you next time. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and wear your masks.